And so often I have conversations with people who come to me looking for advice because they have not asked for what they want. They've begun to compromise before they ever asked for anything. And actually, it takes more than one go to unpick that conversation sometimes. And then you discover people are going, well, it isn't really what I wanted. It's just what I thought I'd get. Or I only really asked for that because I didn't want to ask for something else because I thought somebody would be annoyed with me. <laughs> going, okay, nobody wins in that scenario. Welcome to The 43%. I'm Claudia Reuter. This show forgets about the leaning in or leaning out debate and talks to successful women about their path toward creating a life that includes both family and career. Our name is a nod to the fact that 43% of women do leave the workforce at some point when they have children. We all have our takes on why and what might be done to better support working mothers. In this show, though, we explore a wide range of experiences and ideas. Today's guest is Una Kelly. Una is the head of human resources at New Ireland Assurance. In our conversation, Una talked about aligning your values to work, how to ask for what you really need, and the importance of creating a fun plan. Hi, Una. Thanks for joining again today. I really appreciate you making the time. Delighted. We talked a few weeks ago, and I know you have a number of things going on. And, you know, to get started, if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit about who you are and what your current role is and what your current, you know, a day in the life is like both at work and at home right now, if you don't mind just sharing a kind of a full view of what your present tense is like. Absolutely. So I've worked in HR for over 20 years now, and I'm currently head of HR uh, for a company called New Ireland, which is a 100-year-old life and pensions company um, based in Ireland, part of Bank of Ireland, which is one of the largest financial services companies here. Okay. And right now in your current role, what does a day in the life look like? That is a great question. I think no two days are ever the same, which is what I love about what I do. So I am a mom. I have three girls who are 15, 10, and 7. So every day involves a lot of plate spinning, uh, a lot of logistics. Um, And so typically, um, you know, I I kind of work very flexibly, and it is one of our organization values that we encourage all colleagues to be able to work in an agile way that suits their family. And we've been doing a lot of work in the last year in particular to bring that to life for all working families. And so that gives me a lot of flexibility. So I don't usually need to be in the office at any particular time. I don't have any very fixed start and finish time. But what I like to do um, is to have breakfast with my family, then go into the office sometimes or else work from home or I can work from another location. And we have kind of a campus set up so we have different buildings that we can use which is great and um, because that also means that you know you're not stuck at any one desk in any one place you can move around you can see colleagues and really go where you need to be um, and so each day is kind of a mixture really of in-person conversations workshops meetings with various colleagues and so on and then uh, I like to get home for dinner time see my family hang out for a little bit and then if I have other things to do um, 
either from a work or family perspective, then there's still time to do that in the evening. Um, so typically, you know, I will very often do work um, at home in the evening, reading or preparing for the next day or something like that. Um, and then typically we'll actually kind of switch off completely at a certain point where I will literally turn my work phone off. I have two devices so that I can create that nice separation of personal and work. So I have a work phone number and I have a personal phone number, which I've done for about 10 years now. And on the one hand, it's kind of, you know, people have to go, gee, you know, how can you stand it having two phones? And I'm going, you know, I really like it, actually, because of the weekend, I just carry one, which is mine. And it means I'm not always on. I'm not always working. I'm not always thinking about work. Um, it's not there at the forefront, forefront of my mind with, you know, a phone buzzing or calling or whatever. So I like to do that. That I mean, I think that's really helpful advice because I know it, that's that's one of the things we all struggle with, right, is that the the phone and everything has blurred this line between work and home. And, um, you know, there was actually a debate on Twitter just the other day among some of my colleagues where people were saying, you know, as a manager, is it okay to send an email on the weekend or am I causing stress in my teams? And there was a huge debate. I don't think anyone resolved it on, you know, what the parameters should be for for notifying folks if it's not an emergency and does that cause stress for employees. Um, but certainly having two phones seems like it sort of helps solve that problem because I know I'm constantly checking one phone for work yeah. and home. Um, I have certainly done that. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things I've always been conscious to do and to help other colleagues to also do is to, you know, put the parameters in place. And so, there is now a growing activity or a growing kind of signature that I've seen other colleagues use, which is, you know, our, our employer believes in flexibility and flexible work schedules. I am working the hours that suit me and my life. Um, please don't feel obliged to respond to my email if I send it to you out of hours. Um, so it's just that nice wording to say, look, you know, I could be sending you an email at 2 a.m., just because I'm sending it does not mean that I expect a response. If you're not at work at 2 a.m., you are not required to respond to reply to me at 2 a.m. I'm doing it because it works for me. Yeah, that's helpful. I've done that before. I've put like all caps, like do not even try to read this until Monday. I'm <laughs> sending it to you to clear my own inbox out. LinkedIn Jobs makes it super easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. They use knowledge of hard skills and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. That means that your LinkedIn job matches are based on skills and background for sure, but also interests, activities, and passions. Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant, qualified candidates for your role. That way you get to focus on the candidates you want to spend time talking to and make a quality hire you're excited about. People go to LinkedIn every single day to learn and advance their careers. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and what they're looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. Customers rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires. Post a job today at linkedin.com forward slash 43% and you'll get $50 off your first job post. L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N.com forward slash 43 P-E-R 
C-E-N-T. That's linkedin.com forward slash 43% and you'll get $50 off today. Do you mind sharing a little bit, you know, obviously you're in a leadership position at an organization working in HR and you're also balancing work and home right now, but do you mind taking us on a little journey of how you got where you are right now? I mean, what was your personal career path like and um, are you where you always thought you would be? So I did a degree called European Studies, which is sort of like a politics and history degree with a big European slant and mm-hmm. um, my bachelor's degree, which I really chose on purpose because I was really good at foreign languages in school. I loved speaking French. I wanted to pick up another language. And so I found a degree that would allow me to do it. Um, and that was really as far as my career plan went uh, when I was making college application choices at 16. And so I went to college, had a glorious year in France, learning French and did my degree, did my four year bachelor's and then did a master's. And my goal at the time was actually to go work in the European Commission and be part of the European structure. Um, And after five years of studying, I said, I am absolutely not doing that. I'm going to do something else completely different. And at that time, when I left college, there were a lot of US organizations that were setting up in Ireland, like IBM, like HP, like Gateway, who were all looking for people who spoke international languages, who, who spoke French, Italian, etc. And so I was in the process of applying to some of those companies um, when a staffing company that's part of Manpower now got my CV and said, hey, you know, we need somebody like you to help us to run the assessment centers for all of these jobs that we're trying to fill. Um, So it would be great if you wanted to come and work here. And so I thought, oh, that sounds so interesting. That's so different. Um, So I did that for four years. And then I worked, went to work for a HR consulting company that did a lot of um, HR consulting, really around change management, leadership development, recruiting, assessment, talent development. And I thought, wow, I really love this. I really want to go work in an organization and see what life is like on the other side. And so I jumped uh, over the desk to sit on the other side as a HR manager um, at a US company called the Hartford, which Mm -hmm. was a company setting up in Europe. Um, I was their first Irish employee. And uh, we went on to grow the company to over 400 people in Ireland, the UK and Germany. Wow. Um, so it was phenomenal, wonderful learning experience. I really, really loved it. Um, and then after five years there, they announced that they were, the company was reconsidering its international operations and it was going to start to pull back from its European arm. Um, and so I decided at the time was quite good. I had a young family and um, I took very little time out as it happened because as I was looking around and thinking about what I would do next, um, through my network, I was talking to some people who worked at an ed tech company called HMH. He said, oh, you know, we're looking for someone to do some of this talent work. We really like the stuff that you've done at the Hartford. You know, would you come and talk to us? We have a little project to start with. And let's see where it goes and so I went to talk to them about a little project and they hired me um into a full-time role and so I stayed there for almost six years 
Um, so then I, and I loved it in so many ways. It was such a dream role in that I worked on talent programs. There was an international dimension. There was loads of stuff going on. Um, there was a lot of leadership change. And so I actually reached the point though, when I, when I said, you know, I have a decision to make here. Um, really HMH was at a stage where it needed somebody to do the work I was doing in the U S and it was getting more and more difficult to not be there. And yeah. so I kind of felt like I was shortchanging myself at every angle. So I would go to the U S feeling bad for leaving my family. Um, I would arrive jet lagged, tired, you know, work really hard for a week, come home, jet lagged, tired, feel like I was, you know, shortchanging work. And so, and then you just kind of end up getting really squashed in the middle. So made the really hard decision that that was no longer for me and um, talked to my colleagues about it and talked to my manager about it. And um, we said, look, really, you know, I said, look, I just want to be very adult about this and just, you know, be very open with you and say, you know, this isn't really not what I want. I'm happy to stay in transition. You know, I'll, you know, I'm not, you know, rushing out the door to go to another job, but I really think I can't do this travel and I can't be there as much as you want me to be there. And it's not for me or for my family. And um, so we agreed it was the best thing for the role and me. Um, and so I moved on and took a look around and said, you know, what I really want is to work for a company with Irish headquarters where I don't have to travel internationally for the moment. And I can really rebuild my kind of Irish experience yeah. or my European experience. So I, um, so a rule came along in one of the largest retail banks in Ireland. Um, and it also gave me an opportunity to gain some union experience, to gain a lot of hands-on stuff that I hadn't really done in an Irish company for quite a while. That I thought, you know, to really retain my relevance in this market, if this is where I choose to be, I need to do this. Um, and so went to work for a retail bank, which was brilliant, actually. I had a really good time. Uh, I learned a phenomenal amount, actually, about operating in a really different style of company because there is a very different approach between, you know, predominantly Irish company versus a US company, culturally, outlook, you know, employment law is different. Everything is different, actually. So I worked there for two and a half years. And then my current role came along. I wasn't looking around, but this kind of appeared right in front of me. Um, and I thought, well, you know, that is a fantastic um, sort of complementary role for my experience, actually, because it is a life and pensions company. And I do know that industry very well. Um, and it is a business that is looking to transform. There's a mass amount of opportunity to do the kind of things that I love, talent programs, work design programs, leadership development, culture, engagement. Um, and so I jumped at the chance and here I am. So, and there you are. And along the way, I mean, you've obviously been not only open to opportunity, but also been focused on ensuring that um you know, the job that you're in, it doesn't sound like you ever really took a, a huge step out, but you've always, but you have been thinking about how to maximize your, the, the benefits of your career and be able to balance that with your family. And obviously it sounds like when you found yourself on a different continent over and over again, it made more sense to find a job, um, in Ireland, you know, how, how do you think about that in terms of, um, 
Or do you see now any challenges around distributed teams? I mean, beyond the motherhood question, I think it's something a lot of us are are trying to grapple with um, as teams are becoming more and more distributed. Um, have you have you seen that it's it's becoming easier or harder with technology to do that? Or or just love your perspective on distributed teams and where the balance comes to travel? Because sometimes we all talk about. Um, you know, we can take advantage of tools like the ones we're using today to stay in touch. Um, but then sometimes it comes down to it and you have an employer who really wants you to be in person all the time. And that obviously causes, makes it more difficult. Yeah. So when I worked at the Hartford, um, there was in, in the early stages, there was very little requirement to be in the U.S. And actually the first trip I took when I'd worked there for a few months was because one of my best friends worked for Fidelity and was in the U.S. on a secondment. Mm who said, oh, hey, you know, I can, I can, um, you know, I'd love a visitor and I've got this great condo and I can, you know, totally put you up for a long weekend. Please come and visit. Um, and so my manager at the Hartford site said, you know, hey, I wasn't really expecting you to go to Hartford, but it would be brilliant if you're going to see your friend, if you could tack on a couple of days and then we'll pay for your flight and all that sort of stuff. So I thought, yeah, of course. So I did. And I really only went, I only traveled a little bit in the beginning, like once or twice a year. But again, my manager said, look, when you go, you you fill your days with meeting people and developing those relationships and getting to know people. So she was great at, you know, helping to plan that out. So she wasn't saying, you know, when you go to the US, you basically do your Irish job and then you do your other, and then you do your meet and greets when you can fit it in. She had said, no, you go and you maximize the time for networking and you maximize the opportunity to get to know people and you build those core relationships. And then, then you've got that. You have that in a good place. And so in those years, I traveled to the U.S. maybe one or two times a year okay. for, for the next couple of years. So it wasn't a massive amount. And um, it was great, actually. You know, there was a really nice balance. And, of course, people came to Dublin from there, et cetera. But the focus was on, you know, maximizing and developing the relationships, et cetera. And this is kind of back in the days when, you know, Blackberries were just kind of coming on the market and um broadcast voicemail messages were a thing. Remember those? You get to work in the morning and you dial your voicemail and you get a hey colleague. It's not that long ago that Blackberries were the thing everybody had, and now I can't even remember the last time I saw one. Oh, yeah. I think I saw someone out recently and I was going, Oh my god, give me a look at that with the little trackball on the side. Remember that? I do. I do. <laughs> So um, HMH was very interesting because it had really good technology. So it had a really good version of Microsoft tools that you could use to video conference and Skype. And, you know, so there was a lot of, of interactivity. And I think really, you know, kind of looking at the way people work now and they're, you know, I do think it's a little bit funny in, you know, in Ireland, for example, and this could be anywhere, but I do think it's a little bit funny in Ireland when people go, oh, well, you know, it's not the same when you can't see people in person. I'm going, what are you talking about? Like, I worked with people who are based on the other side of the world. And if I was lucky, I saw them like once a year. Right. And that you're complaining if you don't see somebody once a day. Like, that's just silly. So I do think that you have to come up with those ground rules. Um, and that's something that we're doing at the moment in, in work, actually, is to come up with team charters which is you know in our team we work like this um this is how we accommodate colleagues and this is how we make this a good working relationship for everybody which I think is brilliant because it helps everyone with those you know to get rid of some of that bias and to get rid of some of that I can't see you don't exist I don't know what you're working on 
Yeah. One of the things that where I'm at right now at Techstars, because we're we're 100% distributed for all intents and purposes, is one, they've made a point of saying it's distributed, it's not remote, um, so that there doesn't become a us versus them mindset. And the other is when we do calls, unless you've got, you know, network issues or something, uh, the expectation is that you'll be on video. And that really keeps everyone, you know, you do get that FaceTime. It's not perfect, but you do feel like more connected, I think, than if it's all just conference calls and remote um, dial-in type stuff. I Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, and I also think that there are some other things that you can do so particularly when you move to a distributed work environment, if you have some people who are based in the same place and some people who are not, the people who are dialing into a call can be at a disadvantage because if everybody's in a room and you are not, that's very difficult. Mm -hmm. So again, I think it does come back to that commitment to say everybody's voice counts. So if one person's on the phone, actually, we should all behave like we're all dialing in so that no one has to try and interrupt or, you know. um, So if, if you can you know, all try to remember that phone etiquette, that's really important. Or if video conferencing is available, well then please use it. Um so I think those things are important. But as are other things, and I think it's amazing actually the power of things like, you know, WhatsApp. So in, in my team with my HR colleagues, for example, we agreed that WhatsApp was the single fastest way to get hold of anyone in our team. And it's everything from you know, deciding, you know, what's the password to that file? So, you know, is anyone going for lunch? But, you know, in any given day, it's quite a very thing, but it's brilliant because now we have this just ongoing flow of all kinds of stuff. So when you meet, it's like you're picking up the conversation, you're not starting, you just reintroduce yourself and go back over everything that's been happening. And I think, but because we took the time to have that conversation to say, what are everybody's needs? What works for us as a team? That's super interesting because that's a, you know, often thought of as more of like a consumer type tool. And yet you found a way to make it work with your teams. And I love that you set the guidelines of, in a way that really makes it fair for everyone, right? It makes everyone feel like they have an equal chance at success, no matter where they are. Do you, do you bring any of that home? Is there anything that you've applied at work that's worked really well that you're like, I'm going to bring this to my family life as well? Um, yeah, so there's probably a couple things. So we have um a very old fashioned, but we like it, um day per page diary um that we use, um, where we write down kind of like the family schedule. So, you know, who's doing stuff, who's got stuff on, what are we having for dinner, you know, if anyone's gotta, you know, come late, leave early, etc. So that kind of works and it just means that my younger daughters who don't have devices can read that. And they love it. Mm. And it came back to when I was traveling to the States quite a lot. And I used to actually uh, print out a spreadsheet and create a planner for the week when I was away to say, you know, these are all the things that are happening and pin the schedule on the notice board in the kitchen. And my daughter told me um, a few years later, you know, I loved the schedule. And I was going, really? And she said, I remember you used to make them when I was little when you went to the States. And I just thought they were the best thing ever because I had everything in front of me that I needed to know I had all that security that things were going to run well Um, I knew you had thought it through so actually it was just the ultimate comfort blanket to see the schedule of rugby um, and so my younger daughter is really like that now as well where I can just you know I write everything out or whatever and then um, and they can too so they now will you know it's kind of funny because I'll see stuff and I'll go I'm going to my friend's house or you know can we have pizza for dinner this kind of thing um, which is lovely. But again, I think it's just about having that conversation to say, okay, well, what, what works for everybody? 
what's a good way to every for everyone to say what they need and how can we figure that out? That, I think that's so amazing because then you're you're really introducing, um, you know, it's it's a safe place for everyone to know the schedule, know how they contribute, um, see it in front of them. It's pretty interesting. So you know, you're you you've obviously got a substantial network. You're in a field that one of your core mission sounds like it's to help people in their careers, but also to help the company as they're you know finding talent. You know, what type of advice or advice do you have for younger women or men who are in the process of trying to think through their work-life decisions and how they can have a career and also have a family. Is there any advice that you would give them or that you wish you had had when you were younger? Yeah. So I think the number one thing that I say to any person now thinking about, you know, family and career considerations is to Work out what your non-negotiables are. So think about what's really important to you, what's really important to your family and start with those points that are really important um, and think about what you really want. So don't just think about what you can get, but think about what you really want. And so often I have conversations with people who come to me looking for advice because they have not asked for what they want. Mm. They have begun to compromise before they ever asked for anything. And they're now asking for things that are suboptimal for everybody. And from an employer perspective, you're saying, okay, so I don't really know what you want. I just know what you've told me you want. Um, That may or may not be something that we can accommodate. But if it is, is this going to be the right thing for you? And, And actually, it takes more than one go to unpick that conversation sometimes. And then you discover people are going, well, it isn't really what I wanted. It's just what I thought I'd get. Or I only really asked for that because I didn't want to ask for something else because I thought somebody would be annoyed with me. And you're going, okay, nobody wins in that scenario. Right. So do you have an example of that? I think that would be so helpful for people to to understand, like an example of something that someone could come to you with that would be what they really wanted. And if you have an example of sometimes what they come with, that's sort of the second tier, nobody's happy situation. <laughs> so I often find this with new parents, so new mothers, mm-hmm. uh, potentially returning to work from maternity leave, who will say, can I work a four day week instead of a five day week? And so I always say, well, why do you want to work a four day week? And I go, because it would just mean that for one day, I don't have to you know, get up super early or rush out of work to do the drop off or pick up. Mm. So I tend to go, okay, let's just back up. So what's, what's your goal here? Like, what do you want to happen? And I go, well, I really want for the age of my child is that I want to be the person to drop them to daycare in the morning and pick them up in the evening, a good chunk of the time. And I go, okay, what time does that need to be? How long is your commute? What's the traffic like? And have that conversation and go, okay, so how is you know, getting up at some obscenely early time in the morning and then rushing around all day and then rushing out of work late in the day going to help you. Um, how will it help you having one day where you don't do that? Mm. So one day out of five, how is that going to help you? And they go, well, it won't actually, but I just think that's what the organization will tolerate. And you go, okay. So what if you could have anything, what would it be? And then you get into this really interesting conversation around, well, actually, I would love to drop my child to daycare or to whoever is minding them 
um, work for a couple hours, then be in the office mm. for a while. Some days I could work late. Some days I could leave early and then work again at home later. I just don't want to be under pressure all the time at the mercy of traffic and schedules. And I go, okay, so you don't want one day off at all. You want flexibility every day. So let's talk about that. And and does that work? Has that, um, do you see that people are, I mean, my guess from what you're describing would be that if you can be in, a, in an environment where you have that flexibility, that it would actually make you more productive because you've dropped the, you've, you didn't have the stress of the commute. You got back home, you logged in, you did a whole bunch of great stuff. Then you get into the office. To me, I, like I would feel energized and productive with that type of schedule that you're describing. The, do you find that to be the case when people are able to go down that path? Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, so I find a massive difference, productivity, the focus, the mindset. Um, the other thing I point out to people is, you know, assuming that, so let's just say you do take one day a week. What's your backup? Like, what's your contingency plan if your child is sick? Who will mind your child? How are you going to navigate that? And they go, well, that will be me and I'll have to take a day off. And I'm going, okay, so inevitably your child will not be sick on the day that you have planned to be off. It's almost certain that they'll be sick on the day you're supposed to be in the office. So you've now used your day of flexibility and now you're eating into another day. So how will that impact you? And they go, well, that actually is incredibly stressful and you know, that's not what I want to have happen. I'm going, okay. So my other question then is if you were going to work a four-day week, what's the day that you want to not be in the office? And they and people almost always say Friday. And I said, well, why does it have to be Friday? And they go, well, I don't know. Friday's a nice day to be off. And I go, okay, actually, it's kind of a nice day to be in work because it's kind of chilled and people are, you know, it tends to go to a slightly mm-hmm. different pace, actually. Um, and there's often nice things on Fridays and, you know, recognition events and cakes in the office and, you know, kind of fun stuff so you can get to know your values a bit better. So does it have to be Friday? So, again, when you unpick it, and again, this is where I just bring it back to, you know, what do you want? What kind of parent do you want to be? What kind of colleague do you want to be? What's a good version of success for you? in balancing those different needs and it ends up coming out as something very different than the initial ask for four days a week because that's based on what people think is available Mm -hmm. and not necessarily what they really want that's incredibly interesting and just you know for obviously I'm here in the U.S. and you're in Ireland what does a typical daycare center provide in Ireland like here one of the challenges is that sometimes daycare only runs from say 9am to two. And then parents are trying to figure out how to bridge the gap between two and six or whatever the commute is. And, um, or there's aftercare, but then if you don't get there by a certain time, you're penalized. Like, is it similar in in Ireland or is, what does typical daycare look like there? No. So we have daycare centers open from, you know, seven in the morning until, you know, maybe six or seven in the evening. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's available if you want it. Um, the more challenging thing typically tends to be school, mm-hmm. actually, um, because schools, primary schools tend to only be open from, you know, kind of 8.30 or 9 in the morning. So that's more difficult if you're trying to do a school run and get to work uh, for a reasonable yeah. time every day um, if you don't have flexibility. And then aftercare, so afternoon care is a challenge for a lot of people. And you hear a lot of that where people are like, my kids are only in school until 2. Um, you know, I have to, and it's difficult to get a part-time. 
somebody to mind them part time after a certain age. They want to be at home. They want to be doing other activities. That's challenging. Yeah, I remember. I remember when my kids were at that age where it was critical to have aftercare. The only thing that ultimately worked for me was hiring someone to come into my house from like three until you know after dinner because that would give me a few hours to know everyone could get where they needed to go. But um, yeah, the the school schedule is not aligned with the work schedule. It's kind of and I always wonder where that came from too. I think it goes back to like the farming days or something. But if you have it in Ireland too, I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> I think it unfortunately comes from a time when all moms mm. stayed at home and uh, or were teachers. I mean, I have had that said to me. Even still, you know, it would be great if you were a teacher because that, you know, would really be very conducive to your family, to family life. And <laughs> I'm going... I'm not sure it would be great if I was a teacher because I don't know that I would be the best teacher, to be honest with you. I think teachers are wonderful and it's a phenomenal vocation to have. I'm not sure I have it or I should be allowed to. It's funny. My mom actually always tells the story of, you know, she's obviously about 70 now. And she said when she was coming out of high school, she was sat down and talked to and said, you know, it's, it's too bad that you're a girl and quite good at math because normally with your scores, we'd recommend that you become an engineer um, so, but you all have a great career as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Teaching is such a, a, like a noble profession. And I'm like, why? I don't, there's so many things wrong with that story when I <laughs> hear it. Oh my God. Yeah. I know. And then teachers now don't have it. I think there's, um, there's a, a conception in the U S too, that, you know, teachers are done the same time the kids are done, but often, they're there late and grading papers and they end up with their own challenges around childcare. So like there's, there's, there's there's no one who's quite figured that out. But so you've created, you know, you've created a, an atmosphere, obviously, which I, I give you a tremendous amount of credit for. It sounds amazing that people not only feel comfortable coming to have the conversation with you, but then are able to take another step and really open up about what it is that would be helpful to them, whether it's something the company can do or not, the fact that they feel like it's it's a safe environment to have those conversations with you, I think speaks bounds to how you much must approach your job. So it's incredibly impressive. Thank you. I mean, I think one of the, you know, I think having three girls myself and being very open about, you know, having worked and having my girls and so on, um, does create conditions for people to feel a little bit more open to have that conversation. And so I consciously mm-hmm. bring it up sometimes, um, you know, or will very deliberately say, no, no, you know, I'm not available to do that meeting in person this evening because, you know, I have a family commitment or I'm, you know, spending time with my girls or whatever it is that I'm doing. And I'm very vocal about it. And, you know, as one colleague of mine said recently, you know, we need to encourage as many people as possible to leave loudly. So when you leave work, you know, that you're not doing a sort of apologetic, you know, mm-hmm. sneaking out thing that you're saying, I'm going now. I have another priority. I'm going to spend time doing that. See you tomorrow, which I think is phenomenal. And I love that idea that we can just bring our best selves to work and be ourselves and say when the working day is, you know, wherever stage it's at. And you're saying, well, I'm, I'm leaving now because I have something that I need to go and do. And I'm balancing these different demands. And, you know, you, when we talked a few weeks ago, you mentioned the idea of a fun plan. Yes. Would you mind sharing that again? Because I found that incredibly helpful because I know from like me personally, I often, I think I have no problem prioritizing work sometimes and over you know, scheduling away my work schedule and then fitting my family stuff or fun stuff in 
as I can, but you have a different approach that I am actually aspiring to work on. (laughs) So the phone plan. So about six years ago now, so my youngest daughter was one. And me and some of my girlfriends were, were chatting about different things we had done one weekend. And as it happened, I had gone to Brussels on a kind of spur of the moment thing to a birthday party of a very old friend and another friend had come with me. And then two other very good friends of mine had done something a little bit similar, a kind of spur of the moment, a little bit kind of, you know, let's just go do something. So we all got back and we talked about it and said, you know what, this needs to happen more and we need to have a plan. Because if we don't plan it in, it won't happen. And then where will we be? Um, and so the fun plan began. We thought, you know, and we were all in our late 30s at the time and said, you know, this really has to be something that we prioritize because otherwise we're going to end up being, you know, career slave, mom slave, all kinds of, you know, logistics slave and really won't have, you know, we'll just be overcommitted, right? So we'll just be overextended and it'll be, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, delivering all these different things and then where am I and who's that enormously fun person that used to be there? in that space so we said okay let's get on it um, and so we did so we created phone plan so our phone plan so there are kind of three core members and a broader group of additionals um and really a big part of our phone plan centers around going to a music festival each year um which starts on the day the children go back to school so um it's it's kind of made even more fun by the fact that we you know book the day off to bring the children first day back at school, say hi to all the other parents in the schoolyard, you know, go for brunch and then hit the road um, with our boots and our rain jackets and we get going and we go and have a brilliant time. Um, and then we have, you know, lots of other events during the year. So um, we've kind of built up a little, you know, core thing of activities that we do now and then we slot others in around it. So yeah, it's, it's a great thing. That is a great thing. It's something I think we should all have. So any, um, you know, one, thank you for sharing. So, you know, not only your, your path, but some advice that you give to, to returning parents and to people in general, you know, it just one more quick question, if you don't mind, if, if you were going back in time, you know, you obviously have a family, you've, it sounds like you've just got it all figured out, honestly, Una. <laughs> no, I really don't, but thanks. <laughs> but, you know, you're leading HR in a large organization. You've got a family that's thriving. You've got a fun plan. You've got all these different things going on. If you, you know, is there anything that if you could go back in time to say when you were in college or university and, you know, would there be anything you'd change or, or any advice that you'd give um, to a younger self? So, I mean, I think... The one thing that I probably say um, to myself um, is, you know, you there there will be people out there who, um, you know, are less qualified than you to see who seem to have more to say than you, or you know, you will look at them and go, "Wow, like they seem phenomenally accomplished. How did they get there?" And what you really need to do is back yourself. So don't compare yourself, just focus on what's important to you and then back yourself all the way. So I was reading a really interesting article recently um, about the idea of onlyness, which is the impact of being the only woman or the only, you know, man potentially, or the only the only person of difference in a grouping where everybody else is the same. 
And what that does is, for example, as the only young woman, so my first kind of senior HR role as the only young woman on a team of predominantly men, and the only other woman on the team was much older than I was and had a much longer mm. career and vastly more experience than I did. So I, it was a very lonely spot. Um, and in that time, I actually went back and I studied for my HR degree and I got my HR fellowship. And I really kind of went a little bit over the top with the qualifications, really, because I felt I had to do it. I had to prove myself. I had to be the most competent I could possibly be. And I subsequently, you know, in this additional research that I saw recently, which said that if you are the only person, so in my case, you know, younger woman, much younger woman, um, you are 51% more likely to have your competence mm. for the job questioned. And I know I definitely mm. felt that. And that's why I studied so hard and made such a point of getting additional qualifications on top of the two degrees I already had. I decided that wasn't enough and I needed to go get some more. Um, and I look at that now and I think, you know, you know, like, that's great that you did that at the time. You didn't really need to have taken on quite that much in your early 30s with very young children and a lot going on in your life. So that's great. And, and you backed yourself and you did that. And that really stood to you. Um, but looking at that in a slightly different way, you could actually have really backed yourself. Um, and nobody in that room was going to question you. And I think those are some foundational things that actually you go, you know what, you have as much to say as anybody else here. You're as qualified as anybody else. Own it, you know, and look after yourself and, you know, really back yourself. That's incredibly helpful. And so when you say back yourself, you mean, you know, really trust yourself and be confident in your own skills. Or, or is that research on onlyness showing that, say, if you had been a young male in that room full of predominant males or whatever the, the factor was that made you the only one, if you weren't the only one, that other people just give you the benefit of the doubt and say, oh yeah, I remember when I was his age and he's fine and he's got it. Is, is it that sort of unconscious bias that you're talking about? But, yeah. yeah, it is. I'll dig out the article and I'll send it to you actually because it's really interesting. And it kind of says, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about inclusion and diversity initiatives, mm -hmm. you have to go beyond just one. Um, because one is not enough and so where I try to apply that you know from a work perspective for myself now like I am very conscious um, to pull as I climb as I call it so I am really conscious to never pull up the ladder behind me um, if I see you know just younger colleagues around me but particularly I guess I am very attuned to female colleagues with children mm -hmm. coming back from maternity leave you know juggling kind of life and family commitments and I I you know, go out of my way to try and be as supportive as I can be. And, you know, when those are the people that say, do you have time for a quick coffee? I go, I absolutely have time for coffee. Of course I do. Um, to really say, look, how can I help you? And very often the conversation is not the conversation. You know, the conversation might start out as something, you know, can I pick your brains mm -hmm. about this banal thing? And it turns into something more. And um, so just, you know, I, I would try really hard to be available for those conversations. Um, and to make that time because I just think that's so critical. And I remember back to the time when I was that younger woman trying to juggle very young children, you know, earlier stage in my career, probably a little bit less confident, looking at these, you know, older, technically more accomplished men and thinking, I don't know if I'll ever get to be like that. Um, and, and thinking, you know, that's, that's so difficult and that's so daunting. And now being on the other side of it going, firstly, I never want to be the same as that. That's not my role model. Mm -hmm. um, I can be my own role model. 
but also going, you really didn't need to diet it yourself in the way that you did. You know, I remember when I had, I was doing my startup and I had little, little ones at home and someone had, I had, was reading the book or I'd seen the title for the book, the hard things, the hard thing about harder things. It's about a book about entrepreneurship and starting your company. I remember thinking, whoever wrote this, if, if you had kids, it really would be the harder things about harder things. <laughs> you know, it's kind of um, so, <laughs> and I think that's amazing that you're, you are reaching back out. That's one of the things I've been trying to work on too, is really um, trying to, as I'm now in my forties and, and kind of have an opportunity to, to be where I am and also look back, I'm trying to think of, you know, ways to be the person to other people that I wish I had had access to at that age. Um, and it sounds like that's something that you're just doing leaps and bounds. So it's amazing. Well, anything else that you'd like to add before we hop off? And I'm so hoping that this recording works well this time. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think the, the series is fantastic. I think, you know, I kind of, I'm so passionate about creating better environments for working families and really helping other women in particular. Um, you know, I know that struggle of, you know, being home with a small child for up to a year on maternity leave and then trying to navigate those difficult mm-hmm. times going back to work and the confidence knocks and all of those challenges and that can be. Um, and I think, you know, anything that we can do to create a better dialogue that creates better awareness would really help drive change. So I am all about that. So I'm delighted to do anything that helps that. Thank you so much for making the time today. And I'm sure your story is going to help people too. And and that's my goal for this is that we just expose more women to more stories like yours and other successful women so that they can, if for nothing else, just hear that that it's being done, that there's things that everyone's walking a path and, and there's a lot of different approaches one can take. So thank you so much for taking the time. And thanks for all the work you're doing. Um, It just sounds awesome. My pleasure. Great to catch up. All right. Take care. Thanks. That's it for this time, but we'll be back next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring woman. If you could take just a minute to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to hear these stories. The 43% is produced by me, Claudia Reuter, with additional help from the team at Critical Frequency. Our executive producer is Amy Westervelt. Episodes are mixed by Tyler Morissette, and our music is from Martin Wisenberg. You can find The 43% wherever you listen to podcasts, on our website at the43percent.com, or at criticalfrequency.org. Thanks again for listening and have an awesome week.